With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for another edition of the Know Your Enemy podcast. My name is Michael Beck, your deputy editor from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, and I'm joined as, by always, one Mr. Jeffrey Benedict. Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing good, Michael. Doing good. Uh, well, that's good to hear, but more importantly, we have a special guest as we do every Wednesday night, Mr. Michael Peterson from Bolts from the Blue. Michael, how are you doing tonight, sir? Couldn't be better, guys. Oh, love to hear that. We got uh, a big clash coming uh, down the pipeline Sunday night football. If uh, if, if everyone somehow is healthier, uh, I guess uh, in sickness and actual uh, body uh, injuries. But um, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that. And just right off the top, what are uh, things looking like for the Los Angeles Chargers in terms of uh, injuries? Because we know that the Steelers are plagued right now. Yeah, I was just pulling up the injury report to, to refresh myself on that. So it's actually a little bit bigger than what Chargers fans have kind of gotten used to this season, which, I mean, is a good thing for Chargers fans who are used to seeing their injury report, you know, a laundry list of names. Usually it's between three and five, which has been good. Um, This coaching staff does like to play things a little more on the cautious side. So even if a player might be sore or something just simple like that, usually they they can hold them out for a practice or two. Um, Looking at their injury report, so this past game, you know, they were missing starting safety this year, Adderley. They were missing starting corner Michael Davis. They were missing uh, one of their starting linebackers in Drew Tranquil. So quite a few defensive starters were out. Um, looking at the list here, I, I think Drew Tranquil is actually still on the COVID list. Excuse me, he wasn't injured, but I don't think he's returning from the COVID list. Nasir Adderley was limited um, in Wednesday's practice. You've got guys like Michael Davis also limited. He should be coming back this week. Uh, backup safety, Alohi Gilman, who does play quite a bit behind 
Derwin James uh, in this year Adderley. He was a non-participant. He has a quad injury. Backup running back Justin Jackson, excuse me, who you guys may remember from uh, several years ago, who kind of helped spur that last second, uh, you know, come from behind victory on Sunday Night Football, I think it was probably three years ago. Um, he's limited as well. He might come back. But then you've got guys like Linvald Joseph, the veteran non-participant. Um, and then Mark Webb, a rookie safety who might be forced into some play normally through some of these injuries, also a non-participant. So not a lot of big names, but a couple key players who are starters on the defensive side of the ball um, might end up coming back this week. With with the with the return of players on defense, do you expect uh, what do you expect from the Chargers defense when they're healthy again? There's been a and they've kind of been all over the place. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you could say up to this point in the season um, that it's been uh, one of the best pass defenses actually in the league. I think they were top three for several weeks in a row. Um, I think after allowing 298 for to Kirk Cousins in their last game against the Vikings, I think they dropped to maybe five, six, something around there. So still one of the better pass defenses in the NFL. Um, still, unfortunately, the worst run defense in the NFL as well. They did drop their total down a bit. Um, and I'll tell you this, that the, the run defense, at least in the last few weeks, even against the Vikings, I think it was one of their best outings, uh, despite allowing over 100 yards. They held them to 3.1 yards per run, which is phenomenal. You know, they still ran enough to, you know, get the job done and close out one of their final or the final drive of the game. But overall, like that side of the defense is showing signs of improvement which is phenomenal. But you saw what the Vikings did with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Um, they were exploiting a banged up secondary. And again, that was missing a starting uh, free safety, one of the starting outside cornerbacks. And unfortunately, the Chargers secondary is so shallow at this point. I mean, uh, their starters for the most part are you got the, the second round rookie and Asante Samuel Jr. He came back, had a pretty good game. You've got Derwin, but then you had uh, a bunch of undrafted players kind of playing um, in those spots, forced to start, forced to play way too many snaps more than they should, honestly, at this point in their careers. And you saw what happened with Justin Jefferson and what Kirk Cousins was able to do. Um, but overall, the defense seems to be coming together. But right now, those injuries are really playing a part in kind of mitigating how fast that's coming together. If I didn't give this weekend's game some sort of a name, some sort of a title, it might be the We Don't Like Melvin Ingram Bowl. Uh, that, that, that one might jump to, to mind here. Um, I'm sure probably uh, some some better thoughts uh, on the Chargers side of things, but just out of curiosity, what, what were your kind of initial thoughts? And did you expect him to try to uh, want out of a team after signing uh, so so early on in this process? I can't tell you that I'm surprised at how things uh, ended or just how they went in general in Pittsburgh. Um, his final season in L.A., so if, for those who may not have been following Melvin Ingram for all that long prior to him coming to the Steelers, uh, his final year, he had a he staged what I think was called a, a hold in. So he wasn't holding out like he was in camp, but he wasn't practicing. Right. He was with his team. He was in meetings, stuff like that. But he was not going to practice and put his body on the line until they guaranteed uh, money in his contract, because in his final year under contract, he had zero guarantee. So he just, you know, for the sake of his family, and his uh, protection, security, whatever he wanted money. Well, the Chargers come out. And they, I think they do right by, you know, their former first round pick who has given them a lot of time and they fully guaranteed him $14 million in his final year of the Chargers. Well, um, what Melvin Ingram did was go out there and play, I want to say nine or 10 games because he did uh, struggle with some injuries, spent one uh, stint on the IR for three weeks, but he ended up giving the Chargers zero tackles for loss, zero sacks, and arguably his worst professional season since he probably was a rookie or the second year in the NFL. So 
obviously the Chargers were not going to re-sign him. They weren't going to pay him the money he was probably expecting to be made, uh, you know, if he stuck around with the team. And so he goes off and signs with the Steelers. Well, I mean, it, I thought that was a good fit, honestly. The Steelers, I, I, I've always loved their defense. I think everyone respects their defense and understands that um, they're a ferocious, intimidating team. They've got a bunch of great players, um, coached well, obviously. And so you're like, okay, well, if there's really any other place that's going to get the most out of Melvin Ingram, one of those places was probably going to be the Steelers. And honestly, at the end of the day, when the news came out that he was looking for a trade or looking for a release because he was losing playing time, well, he was kind of fading with the Chargers. You know, his final year, he was non-existent. So the way it went, I just couldn't have been surprised at all. With uh, with Melvin Ingram gone, who who is – like how is uh, the Chargers' pass rush? Obviously, you have Bosa – uh what what do you have outside of joey bosa to compliment him yeah so two guys that you'll see a lot opposite bosa are well the starter opposite him is uchenna nwosu who is i want to say a fourth year player at a usc former second round pick who i think fits what brand Staley wants to do in this three four system this three four front um, having him out there as an edge instead of like trying to play essentially like a stand-up base defensive end, right? I just didn't think that fit his system. He's only 6'2", about 240, 245 pounds. It never fit him. So uh, this past week against the Vikings arguably was his best game as a pro. In his four years, arguably his best game. Um, he didn't have a sack, but he had a really nice tackle for loss. He was able to set the edge well um, in the run game and just overall seemed to be more active. Uh, I would say up until the Vikings game, Chenin Owosu, you, you barely heard of him. You barely heard his name. You barely saw him pop up. Um, so a lot of people were like, this is this is not what we expected. You know, as a rookie, he forced that game-winning uh, fumble on Lamar Jackson in 2018, right? It really set the stage for who we thought was going to be a really good player. Unfortunately, he's just kind of underwhelmed. And next to him, you've got Kyler Fackrell, who's a little bit of a – I wouldn't say a journeyman too much. This is his third team, and I want to say six, seven years. He was with the Packers, former third-round pick out of Utah State. Spent last season with the Giants. Had a pretty good season. Um, he's a high-motor type guy. You're going to get a lot of effort out of him. And he has flashed on several occasions, but again, hasn't really done much um, as far as a pure pass rusher. And I know you talk about, like, of course, we have Joey Bosa. But I'll tell you right now, when you compare Joey Bosa, who is normally his name is held in the same regard as players like a TJ Watt. Right, Chandler Jones, just some of these elite edge rushers in the NFL. Um, I don't know if it's he has a lack of health. I don't know if it's the change to more of a stand-up edge rusher instead of you know his base defensive end that he's run since he's been in the NFL. He's not really producing the way that I think Chargers fans expect of Bosa. He is an all-around complete player. But if you look at his tackles for loss, you look at his sacks, which are only five and a half on the season, and then you look at a guy like TJ Watt, right, who is the elite of the elite. 13 and a half, I think, tackles for loss, 12 and a half sacks, something along those lines, which is just a whole other level, right? So uh, I'll just put it this way. The Chargers pass rush needs help. Um, and unfortunately, I just don't think the pieces are on uh, the roster as of right now. Um, so Sean Manahan puts $5 in the Super Chat feature in the tip jar here. He says, uh, thank you for your time, Michael. Um, and he's hoping for a great game, whether it's Ben or Mason starting at quarterback for the Steelers. That's going to lead in my next question here. Historically, Ben Roethlisberger is not very good away from Heinz Field. The, the further he gets, this is a point Jeffrey Benedict brings up a lot. The further away you get from Pittsburgh, the worse his record is. And it's specifically bad against the Chargers as well. But for whatever reason, Steelers backups have had some success against the Chargers, be it Michael Vick going in and stealing the game. Uh, Duck Hodges uh, obviously doing it last uh, go-around. 
Are you almost wanting Ben Roethlisberger to play in this game? It, it, it feels weird to say, but he has struggled so much in the backups for whatever reason that have had success in uh, previously San Diego, now Los Angeles. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's one of those like things that uh, Chargers fans probably just get super frustrated about when you bring it up because that seems to be a theme. And it really has been a theme over the past several seasons. Um, that game with Duck Hodges starting, like, it's Duck Hodges, you know what I'm saying? Like this again, like I understand the Chargers didn't have a good record last year or the year before, but they always come in right on paper. It's always like the Chargers are stacked. They can be a dark horse, whatever. But then push comes to shove and they play a game against a former FCS starting quarterback, third string quarterback of you know the Steelers comes in and somehow still beats the Chargers. And then that game where Michael Vick came in, uh, which, I mean, you could probably argue was like a washed up Michael Vick at that point, but comes in. And I remember where I was for the ending of that game. I remember how I felt. I remember watching, I think it was Le'Veon Bell who fell over the end zone line uh, to win the game for him. I mean, it is something else, right? And so to your point, your original question, um, I almost would say that I kind of want Big Ben to start. Like it would just be right on par for the course for Mason Rudolph to come in and throw 40, 45 times and for 350 plus yards, two touchdowns, uh, no picks because of course the backup isn't going to throw picks against a defense that likes to defend the pass well. So uh, yeah, I, I would probably want Big Ben in this one. <laughs> I'm hey, like, to, add, fair. to add a little to that, uh, one of my favorite stats is, that since Michael, since Ben Roethlisberger joined the Steelers in 2004, uh, he has as many wins in California as Devlin Hodges and Michael Vick, who were both backups for him and played like three and six games total. Uh, it's, it's not, he's not, we just don't win. And it's not even him. Sometimes he has good games and we just do not win. That's kind of crazy. When, so, so let me, sorry, let me just to rephrase that yeah. uh, or to like clarification. So, Big Ben has one win in the state of California. One. Is that what that's he's a- one in seven? Okay. So I just wanted that was that was that drastic. Yeah. That everyone oh, yeah. just has one win. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he he's he's played one game in London and he lost that one. So, you know, he, he and you get far enough away from Heinz Field and he's terrible. Well, not even I shouldn't even say terrible because he's not. His numbers aren't bad. It's just the Steelers. His, his record win. is terrible. Yeah, with him as quarterback. If I, I don't think he's home. ever won in Seattle either. Uh, 0-1, I believe, yeah, no. in Seattle. Yeah, 0-1 so in Seattle. To West Coast in general, he's 1-8. and 0-4 in Oakland, which doesn't wow. just – yeah, that's see, that's bad. Like, if you're losing to the Raiders. I mean, yeah, because the Raiders haven't been good until, like, now, right? Like, of the yeah. last, what, two decades or so? Like, I, Yeah, nice. they're terrible the whole time, and they just destroy us every time we go there. Getting away from that badness, uh, on the back end, Derwin James, right? Derwin James seems to be a player that constantly is talked about as being, you know, like, is he elite? Is he one of the top players? He he seems to, to bring a lot of very, very different opinions out of people as to how good he is. Uh, where do you stand on Derwin James? Uh, I stand that he is elite. And uh, I think if you look back, obviously, his rookie season, and yes, people are like, it was just the one season, right? But literally, he was first team all pro as a rookie, and he set the Chargers uh, rookie tackle record. 
And he said at the time he tied the record for most sacks by a rookie at three and a half that was later tied by Desmond King or excuse me, but the year before was a tie by Desmond King. Derwin James does it his rookie season. Um, he was a pro bowler. He led the, he, I almost think single-handedly some of his efforts helped the Chargers make it to the playoffs for the first time since 2013, uh, helped win their game against the Ravens for their first playoff win since 2013 as well. I think he's elite. Now, the thing is, when you talk about like this season, you look at if you want to take into his pro football focus grade uh, into consideration, it's not one of the best. I think he's kind of a middling grade at this point, 72 point something along those lines, like not the the elite the way he started this season or was he was as a rookie. Um, but for those who don't know, Derwin James is playing like five different positions for the Chargers. And um, Brandon Staley has been asked about this, you know, uh, just in terms of like how valuable and versatile Derwin James is. It's a very popular question because we can't get enough of Brandon Staley and or talking about Derwin James in general. But Brandon Staley has actually come out and said, well, he would probably be having a much more productive season if he was playing just one position, right? One position, maybe a second one, but he's playing five. And a five is the number that he, he does keep using. And with that in mind, like he's just doing a lot of different things. And um, I think that is really... Uh, unfortunately, holding him back as opposed to having like the interceptions, the pass breakups, to, um, just what he did as a rookie. He's doing a lot more different things than just that. He did a lot of stuff. Um, but I do think he's elite. Um, but I will say, take it all with a grain of salt. Like maybe he would produce more if he was only playing one or two positions. Uh, but we just don't know that because he's playing five right now and it's just not reality. So I still think he's very good. I will say I would like him to probably pop a little bit more. Um, then he has more picks, more big time plays, just, you know, things along those lines to help remind people that, yeah, you're still elite and you're still here. So this game is trending towards uh, the Steelers being without some very key starters, especially in the defensive side of the wall, really both sides of the football, but uh, the Steelers defense specifically here, there's a chance they'll be without TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden, really all the big names. There's a, if you're looking at their injury report, even Cam Hayward was limited in practice, which he has been often this year, but Still, when you look at it, all the big names are pretty rumored to not be in this lineup. Should we as Steeler fans be scared of uh, Justin Herbert and this offense being able to, to throw all over this team? So a week ago, I probably would have said yes, because the Chargers were coming off a uh, win over the Eagles where like the final score was, was very close, but Justin Herbert just went 32 of 38 for 356 and, and uh, two or three touchdowns. I think it was two passing, one rushing. So after a performance like that, which everyone said, oh, the Chargers offense is back, like let's rock again, going into a, a defense with like the Steelers that's missing all these key names. Yeah, I probably would have said so, but they just got done playing the Vikings who were missing five starters, including Harrison Smith, Daniel Hunter, um, Anthony Barr, Mike Pierce. I mean, all their big names for the most part were gone. And yet the defense and Mike Zimmer is a great defensive coach. Don't get me wrong, but the team was still three and five coming with this game, right? Had lost quite a few games. And so for the Chargers to come in, and unfortunately, after looking good against the Eagles, looked pretty bad against the Vikings. If, in fact, it was probably one of the worst games of the year and looked just like their losses um, or their performances against the Patriots in that loss, against the Ravens in that loss, where everything just feels uh, disconjointed. There's just things aren't clicking for whatever reason. Our players, our best players like Mike Williams, uh, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, guys are dropping passes. And I think the Chargers are one of the actually one of the top teams leaders in drop passes by their pass catchers. So 
Justin Herbert, I think, is fine. His stats don't look as good as probably the last few weeks as um, you'd expect, but he's not getting a lot of help. And um, he is, but like in, in key moments where like Mike Williams' drop against the Vikings was uh, he was going to walk in for a touchdown. It was on this pick slant uh, near the goal line. And that was a for sure touchdown. Austin Eckler runs an angle Texas route and it goes right through his hands. But if he caught it, he had about 15 yards of green grass in front of him because Eric Kendricks was, you know, couldn't keep up with him. So, um, Again, long story short, I, I would normally say I would expect the Steelers defense to have a long day, but recency bias tells us that like the Chargers could just come out and struggle against this defense no matter who's on the field. Yeah, the Chargers started out four and one. They've gone one and three in the last four games, which started with the Baltimore Ravens. And being someone who sees the Steelers play the Ravens every year, we we've we have seen that team come up with different ideas on how to defend, you know, your offense that other people then copy. We saw that big time uh, last season where even the, the, the Washington football team said the Ravens put things on film that we copied and they worked. Uh, is, is, do you think there's a chance that's what has happened here, that some other teams are picking up and being able to have success with something the Ravens showed? Or is this, you know, is this injuries? Is this just a tougher part of the schedule? Is something off with the team coming out of the bye week, or, or do you think there is is actually some kind of you know maybe teams are starting to have a have a ways to attack Justin Herbert and the Chargers offense? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because it's quite striking, right, between the four and one start and then the one and three skid that they're on now. Um, a lot of people point out, well, the Ravens, the Patriots, and the Vikings are all coached by well phenomenal coaches, defensive coaches. Um, who do a really good job. But again, before the Patriots game, we knew the Ravens were going to be a tough game no matter how that went. But like after their opening five, six game gauntlet against teams like the Chiefs, the Browns, the Ravens, the schedule looked like it was going to soften up. I think before the Ravens game, Mike Clay did his strength of schedule thing and the Chargers were fourth easiest. And so we're like, oh, cool. We we got through the, the hard part four and two. Um, time to kind of just coast and take care of business and, and get into the playoffs. Well, all of a sudden, this stretch of the schedule, whatever you want to call it, um, all of a sudden looks a lot harder, right? Um, the Patriots ended up being pretty good and still look pretty good. Uh, the Bengals are coming up. The Broncos, who looked like they were going to tumble after a decent start, are all of a sudden still you know, above 500. I think there's only two teams the rest of the way that are under 500. Everyone else is 500 right now or above. Uh, so all of a sudden, like, yes, the schedule, I think, is a lot stronger than initially uh, we all thought but again the ravens i think put a pretty decent uh you know structure on film a strategy where they showed that if you can get after justin herbert fairly early he is not able to bounce back i think similarly the way he did as a rookie and um the offensive line is missing they're starting right guard and right tackle so immediately john harbaugh and the ravens were like we're going to attack this side and storm norton the right tackle had a terrible day. Uh, right guard, Michael Schofield, still a terrible day. The next week, Patriots come in. And Bill Belichick, we've seen this story before. Last year, they beat the Chargers 45-0 in SoFi Stadium. We, we kind of seen that story, right? Same thing. He goes, this is our matchup we need to exploit. And so he starts running twists in games. And he's one of the best at scheming up games up front. So, again, not a surprise. They were able to get after Herbert, drops, miscommunications. Um, unfortunately, that's the demise of the Chargers in that game. And again, it sounds like a broken record, 
the same thing happened against the Vikings, right? Um, we unfortunately, like, here's one aspect that I think that plays a bigger role that a lot of people don't realize is the Chargers don't have a real strong running back behind Austin Eckler. And I mean, as a runner, as a pass protector, just as an offensive player, their running back two situation is so muddy that you got two young players that uh, you could go back and watch the Vikings and point at several uh, situations where that running back blew his protection and it ended up costing Justin Herbert being sacked ended up costing him throwing an incompletion on a money down, even though he had a guy wide open, um, just things like that. So there's a lot of little things that are adding up besides the fact that they are missing some players. There's just a lack of players stepping up to the plate um, and making plays. And until that turns itself around, um, the Chargers, I just don't think should be held in as high of a light as they have been, at least compared to the way they started four and one this season. So you brought up the O-line. I'm curious uh, your thoughts on our old buddy Matt Filer and how he's uh, stepped into the uh, Chargers' uh, rotation, how he's performed, because I know he's went back to uh, his uh, guard spot. Yeah, I think he's absolutely phenomenal. I think he was one of the best signings, not only for the Chargers, but in all of the NFL this past offseason. He has been rock solid, and I think an awesome um, player to have next to Rashawn Slater, our rookie left tackle, who's also playing lights out. Like that side of the line, of course, Corey Lindsley at that center, who was last year's first team all pro center, like that's phenomenal, you know. And they threw in uh, Ode Abushi, who was kind of like a budget guard um, and free agency signed him, but who was playing like not super lights out, but the guy wasn't screwing up. He was getting his job done. Uh, he was just solid, man. And that's all you can ask of, of a Chargers offensive lineman after a decade of, of everyone being barely serviceable. Just to have guys who come in, don't screw up, and just kind of do enough is perfectly fine. But Brian Bulaga, who was a guy we signed prior to last season, we haven't seen him since uh, halfway through week one against Washington, right? So, I mean, they're just missing some players. Um, but Matt Filer, man, him being healthy, him getting the job done, you should see some of the film that comes out with Rushon Slater and Filer blocking together and comboing um, in the run game, man. It is something special. So, absolutely love Filer. I thought – he was huge in terms of a player who's just solid, but also a player that helped make our offensive line a bit bigger because I, I feel like our offensive line in recent years has just been kind of small and didn't really have like the pure mass and strength to be good in the run game. And I think Filer helps kind of progress uh, the Chargers offensive line in that category. You brought up Rashawn Slater uh, as, as a rookie starter. You have Asante Samuel starting, but even the rest of the rookies, I think every single one player they drafted has played at least in – a couple of games uh and they seem uh the last few weeks have been getting more involved in the team is, is that attrition is that injuries or is this rookie class uh looking like one that can be you know a really a really solid one to build build a team on yeah i think of course the picks of slater and asante samuel jr were absolute home runs you know, like the perfect player at the perfect position that the Chargers needed to hit on in those first two rounds. Now, after that, I think you could have gave the Chargers like an A grade for the entire draft just based on their first two picks. Well, all of a sudden the third round comes and we were thinking like off-wall linebacker, um, defensive tackle, um, maybe even double dipping in offensive line early just because of the problems that they've had with that position for so long. And all of a sudden they grab a receiver, in Josh Palmer. Now, unless you were a pretty big draft head, uh, or, Canadian. You probably, or Canadian, yeah, you probably wouldn't have thought much <laughs> of Josh Palmer, who didn't have, like, at least on paper, the best like career in general at Tennessee. Well, I mean, he was their leading receiver with 450 yards and, and a handful of touchdowns. 
but he had three different quarterbacks throwing to him. So if you look at the film, the guy did his best work against Alabama and Georgia. So right away and then seeing him in training camp, the guy's the real deal. And I think he's going to be a really good player in this league, at least in terms of a wide receiver two, a real solid wide receiver three, I think once he gets really acclimated to the NFL. You've got, but then they, they went and drafted Trey McKitty, who was a seldomly used pass catcher um, for Georgia and Florida State during his college career. Uh, they Tom Telesco called him the most pro-ready uh, blocking tight end that was left on the board. And that is something they've needed, don't get me wrong. But a third-round pick on a guy who is probably never really going to contribute in the passing game, who's tight end four or five right now, um, didn't seem like the place to take him in the third round, especially when you have extra picks uh, on day two. And then you keep going. Chris Rumpf in the fourth round, fine. He's put on good mass. Uh, and I think he's actually going to be a pretty good slippery edge rusher um, if he continues to build size and work on his game. I like him. Brendan Hymas, an offensive tackle, uh, will turn guard now, but he was a left tackle for Nebraska, set their uh, starting record uh, for an offensive lineman at the university. So versatility there, like the pick. Sixth round, we got Larry Roundtree running back from Missouri, all-time leading rusher from their school. And then uh, Nick Neiman from the University of Iowa, which I'm pumped about because I'm a University of Iowa alum. He was an uber-athletic linebacker, even more athletic than Kenneth Murray, believe it or not. So I think he's going to be a core special teamer. And then in the seventh round, we got Mark Webb, which this was probably one of the things – I know seventh rounds are just dart throws, right? But there were some players I thought who were on the board at other positions of need that we could have used instead of a safety that tested – really slowly not that great and uh was probably going to play more of like a dime linebacker role instead of being like a free-ranging free safety which we have zero depth at behind this year at least so um again kind of rambling about this whole group but first two guys awesome the rest of the way there's some pros and cons uh, but i don't think it's as great to say like they nailed the whole draft i think they nailed it at the top and we'll just have to wait and see on the rest of the guys when we get to the offseason, we might have to bring you back on to break down Iowa and uh, Tyler Linderbaum. I'm sure we could uh, chat about that guy for a while. But uh, uh, one of uh, one of the final questions I want to ask you here, uh, Brandon Staley, uh, when he was first hired, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that he was the most uh, favorably liked candidate, especially across the NFL. But uh, I'm, I'm just curious what, uh, what the thoughts are on uh, the head coach now. Yeah, I'll be one of the first people to tell you that um, he wasn't even in my top three, nor did I even really think about him all that much. I think the majority of people believe that to capitalize on Justin Herbert's really good, historic, offensive rookie of the year type season he had in year one, that they needed to go get an offensive coach, which was Brian Dable, Arthur Smith. I think those are my top two guys. Um, Eric Bieniemy, I... Would have taken as well. Um, don't get me wrong. Either way, just like someone who's shown that they can take an offense and like just take it to the next level, you know, utilize him and all his gifts that he has. Uh, but then they go ahead and hire Brandon Staley. And my first thought, like I was out of the house when it happened, and I was like, oh, I got to get home and start, you know, getting on this. But like Brandon Staley, like the one year uh, wonder at DC for the Rams, which I mean, it was the league's number one defense. So like the guy's got to be good. You look at his history, like five years ago, he was coaching at a division three school. Like that's insane. You know, normally people don't want to take risks on that. And I just didn't think the Chargers were in a place to take a risk like that. But again, I'm an idiot in hindsight. Like he's been absolutely phenomenal. Like I'll be totally honest. He is 
I couldn't imagine it being any other coach. After Anthony Lynn, Mike McCoy, North Turner, all these real classic coaches, coaches, guys, um, he is the biggest breath of fresh air in terms of uh, his mindset, the culture he's instilled with the team, um, how open uh, he is with the media in terms of like not treating us like we're a bunch of idiots who are, just happen to be asking questions about football. You know, like as a guy who played college football as well, I personally like when uh, you actually give us information that like is interesting and not just coach speak cliches and stuff like that. You ask him a question and if it's if it at all basically demands a response of like getting into the X's and O's, he's pretty good at like talking about it and laying it all out there in a way that like everyone can understand it. Because a lot of those beat writers, again, aren't people who probably played football or anything at a high level, didn't, you know working it a lot. We're just kind of journalists who fell into sports media and it's just refreshing. That's the biggest thing I can say. He's just all about relationships. Like every player on the team would die for Brandon Staley right now. Would step in front of a bullet for him. I just think he's such a phenomenal person uh, who genuinely truly cares about the people around him. I mean, to the point where he's, he makes sure if you're asking questions in the press conferences, he makes a point to say your first name always like it's just whoever he's talking to he makes a point to say it because at least it just grabs you a little bit in right it's almost like a weird verbal hug that he does so uh i could go on and on about brandon staley but he is just so refreshing and exactly what i think the chargers needed after so many coaching staffs where they were kind of just beating a dead horse well that's great stuff to hear now before we let you go we usually have a, a couple closing questions for you firstly to put you completely on the spot do you have a game prediction and a final score that you could uh, you could give to us. Final score in a game prediction. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty normal for me to like pick the Chargers to win this game. Um, I'm probably going to do that again, but I will say like I don't feel great about it, especially after what happened with the Vikings game. Um, let's just call it. I I think the Steelers defense is going to be pretty good with or without T.J. Watt. They might get Minka back. Um, overall, I think they do play the Chargers well because the Chargers haven't been good at home. If you guys haven't noticed, they're like one and four or something along mm -hmm. those lines, two and three, actually, I think it is at home. Um, I'll say the Chargers win. Uh, I, I don't think the offense gets back on track against this defense. I think Tomlin is way too good of a coach to let them run freely on offense. So uh, let's say Chargers win 20 to let's just do 20 to 17. Um, it's always going to come down to a field goal within three points. It's what the Chargers do. Um, I think they just barely hang on, fight like hell, end the game with the ball in their hands. But it's not a stress-free game by any means. <laughs> yeah, as Steeler fans, we are definitely used to that. Now, Michael, last thing for you, is there anything you want to plug uh, before we let you get out of here? Yeah, so um, as they mentioned at the, the start of this stream, um, I'm the lead editor over at BulletinBlue.com, which is SB Nation's uh, Chargers community. Uh, if you guys want to read anything just for like, you know, from the other side of the, of the line um, about this matchup, you can over there at BoltsFromTheBlue.com. And then I think you guys can see my Twitter handle uh, down below here. It's at Zone Tracks. It's a, if anyone who doesn't understand that, it's a coaching point when coaching the zone offense. Um, I'm a big lover of offensive line play. So in case you're curious as why my name is, is something as weird as that, uh, that's what it is. It's when you run the zone offense, you stay on your tracks. People call them zone tracks. So there it is. But that's all I got. Excellent. Great stuff, Michael. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight and uh, appreciate all, all your time. Yeah, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good night, man. Um, and everyone that's uh, currently watching here on YouTube and Facebook, 
just hang tight. We're going to jump over to the second half of our show uh, and break down uh, things from the Steelers' perspective. Now, uh, we will jump into that break in just a moment, but if you are listening onto your podcast platform, you're going to want to go ahead and click over to part two right now. 